2: Go behind the scenes and explore the real-life history that informed the limited series based on James Clavell's best-selling novel. Search FX's Shogun
1: wherever you listen to podcasts. Tax season is approaching, bringing potential extra cash your way.
2: Rather than spending it all on an expensive deal filled with yada yada from your current wireless plan, consider switching to Metro by T-Mobile for no contracts, no credit checks, no surprises, and
0: Dot com slash deals
1: that's Alienware slash deals
3: Zigazoo has made me zigzag what I mean by that is I swore I would never let my kids on social media but now I'm setting them loose on Zigazoo Zigazoo is a space for kids to post videos they've created and to share them with other kids just like them videos that are moderated by actual people and since there are no comments or messaging you don't have to worry about social trolling Zigazoo the world's largest social network for kids. Download the Zigazoo app today.
2: From UFOs to psychic powers and government conspiracies, history is riddled with unexplained events. You can turn back now or learn the stuff they don't want you to know. A production of iHeartRadio's How Stuff Works.
1: Hello, welcome back to the show. My name is
2: Matt. My name is Noel. They call me Ben. We are joined as always with our super producer, Paul Mission Control Deck, and most importantly, you are you, you are here, and that makes this Stuff They Don't Want You to Know. A very interesting episode for us today, guys, because we watched a documentary together that blew our collective minds. What yeah. a story.
0: And how often do we get a night at the movies as a collective? You know, We I shared know. a big bucket of popcorn, mm-hmm. we had the Giants. Soda. We were drinking from three straws
2: stuck in there. Yeah. It was a
0: whole bonding experience. We yeah. need
2: we need those airbrushed T shirts. Also true. I know
0: you guys think I'm joking with about dolphins that. and sunsets? I
2: mean, preferably. So so this this uh, film we watched is called The Legend of Cocaine Island, and it has it, it has so many things going on that we thought would be of interest to you. We also decided because we do get good ideas occasionally, not to dive into this on our collective Lonesome. We are lucky enough to have with us on the show today the director of Legend of Cocaine Island. He's also the editor. Also the editor. The director, documentarian, editor, and producer, Theo Love. Theo, thank you so much for coming on the show.
1: Dude,
4: thank you so much for having me.
1: It's, uh, it's crazy, you know... Noel and Ben and I have done our fair share of video editing in the past, and when at the very end you see that it was you actually editing. Uh, that, that brought a lot of joy to our hearts, knowing some of the things that you get to watch happen in the show, uh, in the documentary. Uh and also knowing that you directed the entire thing, it's, it's pretty awesome. Man. Well, and
0: it's so funny too. When you think of a documentary director, it's sort of an amorphous idea, but yeah. this movie, I mean, it's, it feels like a movie. Yes. I mean, it is a documentary, but it's this amazing kind of hodgepodge mishmash of like, you know, interviews, talking head interviews, but these incredible recreations that have this energy and like tension that I have never really seen in a documentary before. So kudos to you just on the production level right up front.
2: Yes.
4: Oh, well, thanks guys. Uh, yeah I mean that that was our goal was to make it feel like a movie experience um, and and kind of take it away from a more traditional documentary feel so I'm glad it's working.
1: Heck yeah. And look, before we jump into this too hard, everyone, uh, the following is a message from the incoming spoiler alert association. In this episode, you will hear spoilers. If you have not seen The Legend of Cocaine Island yet, do yourself a favor, pull up Netflix and check it out right now. And
0: then this conversation will be super
1: interesting on multiple levels, and we're going to dive
0: into some of the questions that were raised by the movie, the story, some plot points. And so having seen the movie before, you hear us do this conversation is going to be key. So stop what you're doing right now. Watch the movie.
1: We'll wait. So let's begin with a quote from a character in the documentary, uh, Mr. Andy Culpepper, a character and a real-life human being. It's hard to believe, but it's true. Um, <laughs> we think he really encapsulate this. He encapsulates this entire thing. So here's that quote.
0: Yeah, he says, if you knew where $2 million was buried in the ground, would you go get it? Who wouldn't? It's the American dream, bro. And it makes me think of that line from The Wire where it's like... You got to play. It's America, baby. You got to play, you know? It's totally the same idea. (laughs) And this character, again, actual human being, I could only describe as, like, the most hysterically drug-addled, kind-hearted weirdo that I've ever seen in my (laughs) life. So, yeah. He has
2: really positive energy. Very much so. uh, He's—the word—and I found the word for this guy. It is louche. Okay. Loose. Okay. <laughs> yes. Can you define it? Yes. Disreputable or sordid in a rakish or appealing way. Oh. <laughs> so I would. That's that's what popped into my head. This. Okay. So broad overview. The legend of Cocaine Island centers on something that's like a modern urban myth quite literally a campfire story. And one of our first questions for you, Theo, is how did you and how did you and your group discover this story in the first place?
4: Well, we were looking for a crime story that was a little bit more lighthearted. I love the crime genre and documentaries. I mean it's super popular now, but most of them are gruesome murders, really heavy subject matter. And so I was wanting something that just felt a little bit sunnier. And uh, so all all roads led to Florida. And uh, and I started reading just the entire internet library on Florida man crimes. And I finally found Rodney and this cocaine treasure hunt thing and it seems way too good to be true there were already a couple articles about it um you know some local news and but then i I read an article in gq about it but it wasn't until i called i started calling the subjects. that i was like man not only is this true but it's even crazier than i could have ever imagined and these characters are just absolutely bonkers and deserve a movie and so we went
2: out and made one. <laughs> I like the way that ends. So for uh, everyone listening, as we know, we've all seen the film now. But for everyone listening who wants a, a brief, like high level recap of the actual legend, uh, could could you tell us the the story, Theo, that that our protagonist originally hears?
4: Yeah. So the story starts out with a man named Julian i got to describe him a little bit for you. He's he's basically a hippie version of Gandalf. Uh, he starts his story in an island named Culebra. It's right up the coast of Puerto Rico. And Julian is walking on the beach one day, saving sea turtles, and sees a duffel bag washed up on shore. He goes and unzips his bag and finds $2 million worth of cocaine he's absolutely terrified uh with you know this amount of drugs doesn't know what to do with it doesn't feel like he can go to the cops um doesn't want to be seen with it and so he just buries it and and he moved back to florida and for the past 15 20 years has just been telling this drunken fireside story about this buried treasure on this tropical island and that, that led, you know, that story of his kind of uh, grew into, you know, more details and more people heard it and more people kind of thought about, you know, was he telling the truth? Was he, you know, was it really that much cocaine? But when Rodney Haydn heard the story, he didn't question it one bit. He, he did not view it as a legend at all and actually thought that he could go dig that treasure up.
1: Okay. So Rodney Hayden, this is the gentleman that we follow for most of the film. And this guy, this guy is again like every single character we keep saying it is larger than life in so many ways. Tell us who is this man Rodney Hayden?
4: Rodney is a you said it was great. He's larger than life in every way. He is a very jolly, happy-go-lucky dreamer. He just always sees the bright side of everything. Uh, he's a family man. He's the owner of a small construction business um, and he lives in central Florida. Um, he had a pretty successful construction business up until the recession and he you know Florida got hit really hard. Um, in the construction business, and so he lost pretty much everything had to move out of his big house in the city, had to you know go from 40 employees down to two and he was you know in crazy amounts of debt and his, his family was was pretty heartbroken to leave that lifestyle behind. so so that that was kind of where Rodney was at in his life when he heard the story from Julian.
0: It's interesting, too, because he really does kind of represent this idea of the American dream. Like, he is this big dreamer. He wanted all of these things, these physical objects and this life of luxury and all that. And, you know, he talks about in the film how it was never enough. They had to have the motorcycle and then the pool and then this and then that. And then they lose it all, which is uh, certainly you do a good job of making that his motivation in the movie. Why he might really entertain this idea of, like, getting this life-changing money no matter how stupid or stupid or dangerous, it might seem.
4: Right. I mean, i that's the thing, is that, that the motivation is, is understandable. I think that everybody's motivated in similar ways. To, um, But there is this underlying absurdity to his conclusion that, you know, that I'm going to go try to get, you know, a duffel bag full of cocaine that's buried in the ground.
1: Yeah, yeah, but but really, it you do such a great job of having that representation, even in uh, the words of Rodney's wife. She likens it to the forbidden fruit featured in the Bible's Garden of Eden. This like a- almost unattainable thing, but achieving it or getting it could represent everything for you, right? And it, you almost don't even know what it could represent, but you feel that it could be the answer to all your problems.
4: Totally. I, I think that we can be tempted by anything, you know, anything, any quick fix is going to feel, feel really tempting mm-hmm. and, you know, not, not to jump too far ahead, but you know, there, there's not a whole lot of morality in this film. We're not judging Rodney for, for what he does in, in that big of a way, but there is some sort of moral uh, thought at the end that's delivered by, uh, by the main drug dealer in the story, who on the surface looks like the bad guy. But he actually kind of talks about how there's really no shortcuts in life. And that whether you're drug dealing or you're running a small you know, construction business, you just have to work hard. That's it. And, and I thought that, that was really funny coming from him.
2: Agreed. Agreed. This is this is something that, that brings us to a, a, a sort of procedural or behind the camera question. In multiple parts of the legend of Cocaine Island, people are describing both the intent to commit crimes and the attempt to commit crimes. How easy or difficult was it to get these these folks to sit down and to just be honest with you while the film's rolling.
4: You know, it was surprisingly easy to get access. And I, when I first started this project, I was like, man, these are, these are active drug dealers. These are active uh, people. And there's no way they're going to actually talk to me. There's no way they're going to want to. And, But then they started reaching out to me once they heard that the project was going and, and they were just fans of drug documentaries. They mentioned cocaine cowboys and uh, and said that they really wanted to be a part of the story. Now, once we got to the, like the logistics of, Oh, your, your face is going to be on camera and that might not be very good for your business. Then we had to talk about, Hey, can we, Work a disguise in there, and you know, so so we we got creative with how to protect their identity. But at the end of the day, this was a silly story from beginning to end. Everybody knew that this was a ridiculous story, and it didn't feel like anybody took it seriously. Um, and that that was true ac- across the board with everybody. Um, and so even though it this is definitely a crime and it's very serious and I don't recommend anybody try to traffic 70 pounds of cocaine. Um, there, it does kind of feel light and like there weren't really that dramatic of stakes. So, I mean, getting access was a lot easier than that I anticipated, but once you actually sit down, it was really funny. I told them, I'm not going to ask you any questions about your, your business, your criminal business. Um, outside of this story. We're just going to stick to this story. But the funny thing about getting into a conversation with people is that sometimes they don't know when to shut up. And so we got so much more detail than we ever imagined just because people got into the storytelling of it. It wasn't really an interview as much as just kind of prompting them to tell the best version of the story. Like they were hanging out in a bar.
1: And we'll be back with more from Theo Love right after this. So tell, tell us about Andy Culpepper. What was it like to hang out with him in that tattoo parlor?
4: Good Lord, he's like one of my favorite human beings on this planet. He is hilarious. Um, very unpredictable fellow. The initial contact with him was was pretty interesting. Um, we met him in a parking lot outside of uh, JCPenney's and he was trying to sell his car, I think. Um, I wasn't really sure. People kept stopping and getting in his car for a couple of minutes, and then they would get out and drive away, and then he would keep talking to us. I yeah, have no yeah. idea what he was doing. Yeah, he was but, definitely uh, trying to sell his always, car. <laughs> yeah, definitely, definitely, right? Um, so there's, there's always something a little off with every interaction that I've ever had with Andy where you're, just kind of feeling like something else is going on or maybe he's not all the way there. Um, So I don't know if he was high during the interview or if he was putting on an act or what, but he really just turned it on and had the entire crew laughing hysterically. He's just the most likable drug addict that I know.
0: Well, to, to be fair, in his words, he doesn't have a drug problem. He, he's, he's done, no, drugs. No, no. He's done, done it, drugs. He's done drugs, but he, it's not a problem for him anymore, <laughs> which I just think it means he's like figured out how to maintain at a comfortable level, at least for him. But yeah, that's the thing though. Yeah. He didn't seem like a dangerous dude. He didn't seem like sketchy and like a, he was going to rob you or a creepy way. And it seemed like he genuinely had a friendship with Rodney who is known for like picking up these strays and trying to help them improve their lives which and kind of how he ends up going down this rabbit hole. Cause he just, it was a world that he really had no part of or no business being in, but he had this weird in, Road through guys like Rodney, which I thought was really fascinating because Rod- I mean, I mean, I'm sorry guys like Andy, but Rodney is a very likable character, as much of a kind of goof he is he's like a good natured goof, and you root for him the whole time, which I thought was really really important
4: totally and and that's that's the what we really wanted out of this this movie was to kind of have it be a buddy comedy a little bit where you've got rodney this happy-go-lucky family businessman in his 50s and then you've got andy who's uh you know in his 20s and partied way too hard and it's just i mean a crazy colorful character you combine those two and send them on this adventure it's it's bound to be hilarious
2: i completely agree with that in fact uh, one thing that I I thought of while watching it, it's like this is a a much more affable Walter White-Jesse Pinkman kind of dynamic duo. And uh, this, you know, without all the terrible things that happen in Breaking Bad, but just like that duo, uh, regardless of how effervescent and compelling their personalities are, this is, as you said, an examination of of crime, quite a serious crime or attempted one. And that's where a lot of our stuff they don't want you to know occurs here. Could you tell us a little bit about this area in Puerto Rico where, you know, where Julian said he buried all this cocaine?
4: Yeah, it's on, it's, uh, it's technically on um, protected land. It's a, a wildlife refuge, um, but it's not it's not like the the place where he buried it was where the animals were or a protected ecosystem. This was actually just where the staff of the refuge would live, and and so there was um there's like a couple offices there, and then he had his trailer, and he he dug a hole right behind his trailer between his trailer and this cistern. Um, but in the years since then, this was uh, about 20 years ago. Since then, his trailer has been torn down, and so the exact location is hard to determine. But it's it's still right around there, you know. In in this, um, I think there's a parking lot right next to it now.
1: Wow. So uh, as we were doing research for this, we we noticed that Puerto Rico, in particular, not necessarily Calabria, but the, the surrounding uh, area there, there, it's seen an increase in drug trafficking just at least since uh, 20, the early 20, the 20 teens, I guess, 2015, 2017. Um, and specifically, it's seen an increase in heroin and cocaine drug trafficking. And I was wondering, like, as you're shooting this, did that affect your production at all? Like, were you guys actually out in Puerto Rico on location shooting any of this stuff? And did you have problems with law enforcement?
4: Um, no, we, we didn't have any problem with law enforcement actually that, uh, we did film on, on location in Culebra and we did all the normal things that we do when we film in an area like that. We checked in with the, with the local government and checked in with the local police, let them know that we're, you know, making a, a film there. And they were, they were supportive. We, we told them that we wanted to make the island look beautiful and they're very supportive. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, it it wasn't the, we never approached this like it was a drug movie, if that makes sense, Mm -hmm. you know? And so, so we, we didn't do a whole lot of research about the drug trade because this story was about somebody who was not a drug trafficker attempting to traffic drugs for the first time. And so the less information we had was probably better for, you know, to represent our main character, if that makes sense.
1: Got you. I guess just the, the big point is that it makes a lot of sense that uh, in the film, as you learned, Department of Homeland Security was very much interested in cocaine coming out of Puerto Rico um according to uh the washington examiner the us customs and border protection they seized around 66,000 pounds of narcotics in and around puerto rico uh in 2017 which was more than any previous year on record uh so you can you can imagine why like as that's ramping up they were really really interested in this but one of the main things that this Uh, documentary goes into is the legality of what the main character and some of the other characters involved did what they did and uh, how bad it was essentially. So let's, let's talk about some of that. Do you think Rodney would have actually uh, again, you need to watch the film. Do you think Rodney actually would have just left the whole thing alone if he wasn't contacted by uh, Carlos?
4: I personally think that he would have made the attempt the first time but he went a second time and it was so unsuccessful i mean it it wasn't even like he got close and so he he made two trips that i think he would have made on his own regardless of who else was involved but there was that that third element that third trip that he didn't go on but this you know, Carlos guy went on to dig it up for him. And, and I don't think that Rodney would have done. I think that's where he would have stopped. I think that after Rodney's, you know, two failed trips, he would have stopped, but that's where Homeland Security really pushed it that, that extra mile.
2: Yeah, that's, that is a fascinating part of the story for us because we've looked back at other situations in the U.S. and abroad of these sorts of kind of undercover law operations, right? And it seems that despite his, uh, frankly, very endearing can-do attitude, uh, Rodney R- Rodney runs into things that time and time again uh, people who aren't even career criminals would see as bad moves. I, I refer specifically to that time where Andy is saying, Andy is saying, yeah, Carlos said, tell him, just tell him where it is. Give him the map. And I was like, bro, that's a terrible
1: idea. Yeah, you'll just get a cut at the end. Sure, Rodney. Right, right. Uh, Because he seemed
2: like he was very trusting with people. But it also seems like. First off, it seems difficult to believe with the benefit of retrospect that he did not suspect anything was up with this mysterious Carlos character. However, what, what do you feel about the legality of law enforcement's actions? Because you you said he probably would have given up after that second attempt, but then he gets some real firepower in the form of Carlos and his mysterious enigmatic organization was law enforcement on the right side of things legally speaking by essentially I mean let's say it, essentially committing this crime for Rodney
1: yeah
4: right and and I think what that question is is getting at is whether this was entrapment absolutely right yeah and and, and that's that's where you really have to to get down to the legal the legal definitions of entrapment and and what law enforcement has to do um, in order to to execute a proper drug sting without entrapment and they go through I mean our our law enforcement is very thorough and they have they have procedures. And they stuck to them on these. And this was a, a very well-executed investigation in the sense that they got what they were after, and they went to trial. They got the conviction, and, uh, and the bad guy got punished. So from, there, from that standpoint, law enforcement did great. Now, And, and, and that's from a legal standpoint. They, they won the case from a common sense standpoint, I think that this was a whole big waste of time. And a, and nobody looks good in this story because Rodney was not an active member of the drug trade and would have had no ability to move into that um, without completely changing his life. What he did do was that he showed an interest in committing a crime and had deliberate action, multiple deliberate actions, um, to commit that crime. And so that's, that's where, where technically it's all legal to arrest Rodney. Should they have done it? Uh,
1: I don't think so. The big question for me is it's not Rodney's cocaine, right? It's, it's cocaine that exists somewhere on an Island in Puerto Rico that, is just sitting there, if it even exists in the first place, and he at no point ever had possession of it. He's like the producer of this
0: operation. Well, he does have possession of it when he takes it out of the trunk and puts it in his
1: truck. Allegedly the cocaine, yes, that was somehow, you know, made it out of the ground, made Mm. it into Carlos's car, and then he picks it up. That's the one moment that he ever touches it. Mm Mm-hmm. But that's the moment that they get you on any drug charge
0: is they call them hand-to-hands or whatever. Yes, when take they take possession. Yeah, when you take it from somebody and the cops yeah. see so you do it, then you – that is now your cocaine.
1: But did he pay money for it? Does that, does that really matter? I'm just saying like – at no point was it his. He like took it. I don't, it's just so confusing to me when you're thinking about it from uh, – in a, like if you're trying to argue it and if a juror is listening to it. I'm just trying to understand uh, – I don't know. Like chain of custody. Yeah, well, no,
0: it absolutely feels like in in that respect where they, yeah, I mean, you know, it's like, here's the keys to my trunk. It's in my trunk. Yeah. You know, take it. I mean, I don't know. That's the part that really got me.
4: I mean, you brought up a, a really good point about that Rodney didn't pay for it and that he wasn't paid for it. That And that's that's one of the technicalities that I, I think is really, really suspicious because their deal was that Carlos only got a a portion of the cocaine. It's not like Rodney paid him $20,000 to go bring this cocaine in. It was, it was a share of the, of the loot, which in my opinion, doesn't, doesn't mean that there's a real transaction here. It's just that they were partners in this crazy scheme.
2: Yeah, that's, that's a crucial distinction here. And just a, just on a side note, I'm, I'm curious. I don't know if you guys are, but I'm curious. Did you, in the creation of the documentary, did you ever speak with anybody on the law enforcement side, like off camera, that was associated with this operation?
1: Oh, yeah. Is there anything you <laughs> want to talk to us about about that?
4: <laughs> I mean, let's just put it this way. Every single person that I talked to on the law enforcement side couldn't stop laughing as they were telling the story. Right. Yeah. yeah. Like the, the underlying, like the underlying implication there is that I don't think that they were viewing this as a serious case. I don't think that they were taking it in any way seriously. And, and so yes, they technically executed a, a good investigation, but like a lot of the na- bigger issues surrounding drugs, I don't think really even came into play in this. So that's, that's my personal opinion about just the impression I got. Uh, interacting with them off-camera.
0: Well, and also given, like, the the sentence, the very lenient sentence that Rodney got from a, you know, admittedly sympathetic judge who was like, he kind of saw everything we're talking about. He's like, this guy was a patsy. He was a fish out of water. He had no business being in this world and had no means of flipping these drugs. So he gave him, like, a slap on the wrist and, like, you know, the community service with Habitat for Humanity. So it's ultimately, like, a, a fairy tale with a, a happy ending, which I, I love that about it because you're right, so many of these crime things are so dark and depressing and this one is not only funny and intriguing it has like a happy ending but it also ends with this notion that maybe they never dug up the drugs in the first place and that's fascinating to me because it's like to what end who are they going after it seems like an awful lot of effort just to embarrass a you know washed up construction guy
4: it, it does it, it really does it's a it, it, as i said it, it feels like a big waste of time I think that, that stories um, <laughs> like that are really entertaining, but, you know, in the real world, yeah, it doesn't seem worth Homeland Security time to to chase after this whole thing. But it is, it's is—it's maddening to think that all of this happened and maybe maybe nobody even touched that cocaine, that all everything that happened, this whole adventure and, and all of these consequences and nobody actually even dug it up. That To me, that's just
5: hilarious.
2: We'll continue our exploration of Cocaine Island after a brief word from our sponsors.
5: CNN Underscore's Guide to Sleep has tons of recommendations for products that can help you get the best night's sleep ever. All right, let's face it. Most of us have had trouble falling or staying asleep at some point. And there are a lot of products and hacks claiming to be the solution to our sleepless nights. That's why the CNN Underscored team spend hundreds of hours testing products to find the ones that can make a huge difference in the quality of your slumber. Visit underscore.com now for our ultimate guide to getting better sleep. Hey, this is John Ridley.
1: And this is Matt Carey, documentary editor at Deadline. And welcome to Talk Talk. John, we've got a hard hitting episode today, a lot of controversy. Well, maybe we should put the word controversy in quotes in the documentary field about the nominees for Best Documentary Feature. We're going to get into that with some amazing panelists. You get a
3: shot. But the individuals behind every one of those images, they're complicated and they are human.
0: This has been Doc Talk. Thank you. Great Thank conversation. You.
1: Hey, Sarah, I love that spring break vlog you posted on Zigazoo. OMG, you watched it? Yeah, it was edited so well.
5: Looking for a smaller or bigger screen? Vizio offers unbeatable prices on all V-Series 4K smart TVs. Head to Walmart.com today and score the 4K TV you've been waiting for.
2: Can
1: I tell you my theory, Theo, and then you just tell me what you think about it? Sure. So I think the police officers... Uh, and what I don't know what county it was in where D got picked up, but I think the police officers that picked D up that one night with the uh, oxycotton, they heard the story about the, the same story that Ju- the Julian's been telling, same story that Rodney bought into. They heard two million dollars cocaine, Puerto Rico, and they then got so interested. And excited by the fact that maybe our, you know, maybe our small department could put $2 million of cocaine on the table and have a press conference that they end up getting involved with maybe Homeland Security. And then they get, oh, man, we could put $2 million of cocaine. That would look really great uh, if we could just, you know, get that on camera and put it on the news. And then it became snowballing to the point where they realized all they had was Rodney. And that was it. And uh, there's nothing they could do, so they had to they had to do something essentially to justify the amount of dollars they put into the man hours of all the people looking into this. That's my theory. What do you think?
4: I think that is that's completely plausible. That actually, yeah, that makes a lot of sense <laughs> as to like how it could how it could actually spiral into this. You know the um, yeah, I think that that's. That's pretty spot on. Um, it really did. It really did start with the local police, and and that's how you know that's how it started. So, um, yeah, nobody could have anticipated that it would have led to, to, you know, the the two trips to Puerto Rico, and then you know the big arrest with Rodney. I, I don't think that that was like a game plan from the beginning. But yeah, you would you would hope that they had bigger ambitions, like, bigger fish to fry, uh, you know, for this investigation when they started. You'd hope.
1: Yeah, you'd think that at least if they did, if Homeland Security actually did pick up that $2 million of cocaine, hopefully, you will. you'd hope that there was some kind of forensics on the bag or in the bag or on the cocaine or the containers that you could actually follow that chain, right, of custody of it back to some bigger fish like they were talking about. But in this case, like, it just, yeah, it doesn't make much stinking sense, uh, to right. me.
4: And 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 in the trial, they actually talked about the the cocaine that they found, and they just said that it was it was completely unusable. It was just it had been rotted away and couldn't be sold or used in any way. So you know that that's another that's another thing. Like they they weren't able to get anything from from that evidence, even if it's true that they dug it up.
0: So I have one follow-up question that I've been thinking about this whole time. Why in the hell did Julian not just leave it in the damn ocean? Uh,
4: I think he wanted to see what it
0: smelled like. Oh, okay. Okay. That's fair. That's fair. So he just took a little taste and then was like, I can't have all of this. That makes sense. All right.
4: Hey, I don't don't know, man. I'm not getting into that part of it. That's fair.
1: (laughs) That's totally fair. Was that actually Julian at the end? I saw that he had somebody. Yeah. He was playing him, but that was him. No,
4: yeah, at the very end, that was him, and and at the very beginning, you know, him walking in the um in the forest. There, yeah, got you. Yeah, he's and he is just the sweetest, sweetest old hippie, and just wants to be left alone and wants to live a simple life. And I I got to be really close with him uh, while we were making this, and he just he really just didn't want he's just embarrassed that this whole thing happened. <laughs> and so, so he, he was okay with us making the movie. And I pleaded with him that everybody just wants to see his face. And so he agreed to do an interview with one question where I asked him to tell his story. And then oh, wow. he poli- politely tells me no. And <laughs> and then, and then I squeaked in a follow-up question there um, as well. So, uh, so yeah, it was it, it was nice. I felt like that was the appropriate amount amount of Julian to keep the legend
0: alive. Oh, absolutely, and it was also a nice big reveal where it's like I thought you you picture him as this mythical creature, kind of almost, you know. Yeah. And I love the fact that he's yeah. like, it's not my story to tell anymore. Yeah, and then he just leaves it at that, and that's uh, I think that's really smart. He, um,
2: yeah, he had some cool. great uh, philosophical notes. I remember remember when he talked about finding the cocaine somewhere and saying, oh. I'm a millionaire, just not with money <laughs> and, uh, and I can completely I can completely see the uh the the slightly anti-authoritarian idea of that one question interview uh which by the way, theo thanks for not doing that to us today
0: <laughs> yes, seriously this has been great.
2: <laughs> Yeah. So one one thing we always like to we always like to end with when we're exploring these kind of current projects is something related to the future. Uh, can you share with us any any next projects you have on the horizon, or things that our fellow listeners should keep an eye out for?
4: Well, I can't announce anything officially yet. There's a there's but there's quite a few things in the works. Um, I can't tell you creatively the direction that I'm moving in. Um, the, the whole idea of blending documentaries and narratives is something that I think is just, we're just at the beginning of exploring right now. And we're, we're in documentaries, we don't just have, we don't think of cheesy recreations. We think of them as, as more cinematic experiences. And so the next couple projects I'm working on, I'm working on a, a horror documentary that incorporates a lot of horror visuals. And then um, I'm also working on an action documentary that has more explosions than you can imagine. It's a, I'm, I'm hoping to make it like Michael Bay makes a documentary. So, oh my gosh! So that's the direction I'm I'm
0: heading in. I thought the Transformers movies were documentaries. No, mm, I'm well not sure, yeah. Yeah. the last they were Night
4: actually was, yeah. Yeah. yeah
0: okay.
1: Right, speaking yeah. speaking of documentaries, tell tell us just a little bit about uh, Little Hope was arson. I, I just want to know more about that before we move on. So
4: Little Hope was arson was my very first film. I. I was actually writing a screenplay about this true story about 10 churches that burned down in East Texas. And it was a massive criminal investigation and it wasn't racially motivated. It wasn't terrorism. The people in East Texas thought that it was Satan himself burning these churches down. But in reality, it was just two local boys who had gone to Sunday school every week of their life. And, so I I was writing this screenplay about this and I went out to Texas and started, you know, doing research and interviews with the actual people. And I found that they were giving me their stories in ways that I could never write. And their emotion was, was so real that it just kind of inspired me to make a documentary. And I had literally never considered making a documentary before that point. And so I, I made it. It was a tiny little movie, but it was lucky enough to play at a couple festivals and get picked up for distribution by The Orchard, and it played on PBS. And it was a, a really great starting point for my documentary career.
1: You could almost say it started a fire within you. Oh, oh man. Oh, sorry, <laughs> sorry, sorry. Jeez.
2: Oh well, the uh, I thought I thought that was all right. Man. Uh, the the good news is, folks, that you can uh, you can watch the Legend of Cocaine Island now. Again, again, for the second time, for the second yeah. time, to look for
0: all the Easter eggs that we uncovered in this fantastic
2: interview. Yes, absolutely. Uh, you can find it available now, live and direct. On Netflix, uh, do check it out. Who doesn't love a buried Treasure story? And as you said, you know, I, I think that's the nail on the head, Theo. I was looking for the right way to describe it. It's one hell of a buddy comedy.
1: It really is. And the entire thing is worth it for this, for this one shot with Rodney when he's looking up and he's in a, a studio somewhere and there's cocaine falling onto him. Uh, <laughs> like a light style. dusting of snow. Yeah, There's, yeah. there's money f- flourishing around him. Uh, it's
0: beautiful. There's also a lot of really intense mustache shots in this movie. I have to really compliment you on your mustache shots because it's just like this guy, he's, he is like a human mustache is what Rodney is. To, I, no. I love it.
4: You know, I really appreciate that. Nobody's commented on my mustache shots, and that meant a lot to me, Good. okay?
1: Good,
4: I, I, the, from the very first time I saw Rodney, I was like, the first thing that you will ever see of this man is his mustache, yes. and I never That's veered great. from that from day
0: one. You got to follow your uh, creative choices to the to the bitter end. I love it. No, I, I enjoy there the film very Thank much, you. and it's, it's super fun talking about this stuff, and um, thank you so much for making the time.
4: Thank you guys so much. This was uh, really, really fun.
1: Hey, thank you. And, uh, all right. Anything else anyone needs to know about where to find you or anything, Theo? Uh, no, but, uh, there's some, there's some really interesting, uh, uh, movement on, on
4: Reddit with people finding some, some, Oh, uh, <laughs> the coordinates, like making, yeah. making their own, own trip, you know, to the place. And even on, on, Google Maps. If you look on it, uh, there's a review for the the wildlife area. With um, <laughs> it's funny. Just check it out. No. Right? <laughs> yeah. This review is is talking about people actually showing up to dig.
0: That's fantastic. Oh my That's gosh. Uh, It's yeah. So so for anyone that doesn't remember or didn't didn't notice, it flashes at the end of the film. Some coordinates uh, after the the two Homeland Security guys are like, Yeah, definitely don't do that. Definitely. <laughs>
1: That's a bad the, uh, idea. The review says, too many tourists for my taste, mostly young men in need for shovels. I saw the business <laughs> opportunity. Visit CocaineShovelPuertoRico.com today. <laughs>
2: <laughs> oh, that's fantastic. That's fantastic. So thank you again so much, Theo. Uh, we hope that you have enjoyed learning about Cocaine Island, this concludes our episode, but not our show. We will be back with more strange, unusual stuff they don't want you to know. In the meantime, you can find us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, all the hits, all that slow jazz.
0: Yeah, if you want to check us out on our Facebook group, it's called Here's Where It Gets Crazy, where you can talk about this and all the other episodes we put out and just hang out with your fellow listeners. If you don't want to do any of that, you can send us a good old-fashioned email where we
1: are. Conspiracy at HowStuffWorks.com.